0: Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please have a seat. My name is Liz Gray and I'm the vicar here and I'm delighted to welcome you to our service this evening. I'm so glad that you're here worshipping with us. That gospel reading is just such a happy one, isn't it? It's such a lovely one. We've got this idea of Jesus sitting there and welcoming welcoming children into the kingdom of God. And when you talk about kingdoms, I don't know what springs to mind for you. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones kind of person and you that kind of kingdom springs to mind, or maybe you're more of a, a Disney World person and you kind of immediately think about the animal kingdom or magic kingdom or something. To be honest, I'm more of a Disneyland person. I love going to Disneyland. I love the rides. I love the food. I love that way that everybody thinks I'm so special and that they make my day wonderful. I could, I, it really is a wonderful kingdom. So I love going there. But of course, the kingdom of God is just a little bit different. But uh, it does encompass its own kind of rules and boundaries. And so sometimes if you think of one of those other kingdoms you've imagined in your head, even as I've been talking... It probably has its own context, its own culture, its own language, its own rules of engagement and some form of boundaries, whether geographical or political or some other way that it's contained. And what I love about the kingdom of God is that everything that we have just imagined is encompassed within it. The kingdom of God is eternal, it goes from before time to after time, it it holds everything. Its language and culture is unique and encompasses all languages and culture. It stretches through all time and will last for all eternity. And not more than that, it's both visible and invisible. It's a place of light where darkness is banished, where evil is vanquished, demons are delivered, and the kingdom of Satan is broken by King Jesus. I love the fact that it is ruled by a king, by King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one of the other things that is absolutely amazing about this kingdom of God is that it's got touch points. Not only are we all invited into the now of the kingdom, but there are actually concrete places and times and moments where it becomes visible as well. So even as we acknowledge and wonder like children at the, at the enormity of it, there are also places where we can engage with it, The only requirement that there is on each of us to step into this kingdom is some sort of recognition that we have really messed up. Taking that moment to come to the God of the universe, the Lord of lords, and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Will you welcome me into your kingdom like a child? And so we are invited in to accept forgiveness, or we're given forgiveness, and then we can step in. I love the fact that baptism is a wonderful uh, visual moment where we can acknowledge that outward sign of the inner conversion. And so we are invited into the kingdom of children, not without question, because who knew a a child who didn't ask like a ton of questions? We're expected to ask questions, but we can enter into it with delight and a capacity for joyous engagement. And one of the places, one of the key touch points for the kingdom of God is found in the church. And this evening, I'm going to go very quickly. We're going to look a little bit more at what the church is. And I know we've been doing that a lot. We're going to do it one more time tonight. And then we're going to talk about what leadership of the church is all about. And we're going to pray for our new vestry. And then finally, what are our responsibilities, each one of us, in this touchstone of the kingdom? In this, I love the other metaphor of an met- embassy of the kingdom. So, first of all, what is the church? I love the fact that our reading this evening from Acts talked about when they were first called Christians. This group of followers of the way are beginning to group together and to acknowledge the structures that they need around them. They now have a name, they identify. They're calling themselves Christians. And this tapestry is a lovely reminder of how the ancient churches so often painted murals of the saints on the walls around them to remind themselves that they were connected in heaven and on earth to people in the way, people of the kingdom. And these tapestries are actually in Los Angeles, and they're beautiful. If you go online, they're huge, and just people around the walls of the cathedral reminding reminding the worshippers that they are amongst a host of other worshipers. But even as we read in Acts this evening, there's this sense that the church is wanting to expand out of homes, that it's wanting a little bit more space, perhaps, a little bit more stability. And so we rapidly get into a place where buildings began to be associated with the word church. But we need to always remember that the church is not the building, but the community, the place where we check in to the kingdom a place where we come to bear witness, a place where we encounter and engage in Sabbath rest together, touching on this holiness of the kingdom. And as we've seen over the summer, the church forming, the church has learned to deal with all kinds of issues, with conflict, with uh, sexual issues, with cross-cultural issues, with race and gender. And today it's a good thing for us to remember that there are churches throughout the world churches that we are brothers and sisters with, churches that where our faith transcends any local tradition or habit. So one thing we did in our small group this last week, and I warned them that this was going to be shown up, but one of the things we did is we sat down and we dove into Scripture and we said, what would we come up with as our definitions of Scripture? I mean, sorry, definitions of the church. And so I'm going to show you the three that our small group came up with. So this is the first one. The church is a body of believers set on a hill and founded on a rock, whose head is Christ, making God's manifold wisdom known to rulers, collectively turtled in the armor of God, honoring, suffering, and rejoicing together, a covenanted true vine grafted to Christ and pruned by the Father, abiding in hope for a future. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You're probably a little stuck at the word turtled. It comes kind of from this, this idea that when people collectively uh, take on armor, there can be a different sort of protection. And so as we were reading about um, the gifts of the spirit and reading about the armor of God, a lot of the time we think of it as quite individualistic, you know, me in my small armor and you in yours. Um, But we were saying, what would it be like if we thought more about uh, the Roman legionary style of turtling? Anyway, that's a different thing for you to think about. (laughs) Oh, here are two more. The church is God's people from every nation of one mind and purpose to make God known, to struggle against evil and to do his work. We do this through the Holy Spirit who makes us members of one body, the bride of Christ. It is as mysterious as marriage. And our third group said, God's gathering of people through time and space for the purpose of being in relationship with him and each other to be the living revelation of God's nature, character, and incarnational redemptive purposes to the world. I need to tell you, I gave them a 50-word limit. Um, So they were trying to be as concise as possible. But it's a reminder that there are so many different ways that we can look at the church and that we can grapple with what it is. And each one of these holds so much truth, and it was delightful seeing people prioritizing in their own minds what they felt the church to be. We also had a little look at um, this this book, and it's called to be a Christian, and it's a catechism, an Anglican catechism. It's actually being reprinted at the moment, but you can find it online. And there's some really great definitions of just about everything we believe in here and including uh, the definition of the church. What is the church? The church is the whole community of faithful Christians in heaven and on earth. The church on earth gathers in local congregations to worship in word and sacrament, to serve God according to the scriptures and to proclaim the gospel under the leadership of those whom God appoints for this purpose. I want you to notice a number of things from this particular definition. First of all, it's in heaven and on earth. Again, another reminder, like our tapestries, that we are connected through our time and space to the people of the church. The church gathers in local congregations. This is us here. We are one little part of this global church. And we have three functions to worship, to serve, and to proclaim under the leadership of those whom God appoints for this purpose. And so we have leaders. And so if you look again in scriptures, you'll see there are many times that the role of leaders is described in the New Testament. And there's some very helpful and somewhat contentious at times articles about, or chapters about the role of elders in the church. If you think about 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, there are different places where you can look for descriptions of what it means to be a leader in the church. But it boils down to this. The gospel is always asking for leaders to be people of integrity, people who can stand up and be spiritually secure, people who know who they are and where they are going. They're responsible for overseeing giving, managing budgets, and things like that. In the passage tonight, we read about the leaders who were taking an offering for the famine in a different part of the church. These elders were fiscally, spiritually, morally, and emotionally responsible And they have a task. Their task is to enable the church to worship, to serve God, and to proclaim. Their job is to help us to be in good order. As I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking that one of their jobs is to make sure that we can worship safely, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That we are a community which can be safe and sound. And often the role of the vestry is described as one which takes care of the temporal needs of the congregation. The vestry are responsible, that we have walls and a ceiling over us where um, we can offer security for our children, where we can have child protection and anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policies, and then make sure we stick to them, to make sure we have a budget and that we are appropriately fiscally responsible, to make sure we contribute to the wider church, to our diocese, and to globally and locally. Spiritually is to make sure that we remain orthodox, to preach the Bible and that we shepherd the flock to the best of our ability, ensuring that Christian formation, biblical literacy and spiritual maturity of all members of the congregation. they charged with praying for each one of us. And emotionally, they charged with making sure that we avoid conflict, that we strive for unity. And so recently, you elected Clayton, Ben, Eric, Nancy, Jeff and Emily. And I'm going to invite them to uh, come up now and to just stand in front of you. These six people are uh, the vestry, which you have called. And because this is the beginning of a church and we're just a baby church, they will roll off two by two. So, um, and then we will start electing two people each year from now onwards. And so some of these guys will only serve for one year and some for two and some for three. And you'll hear more about that later this week. But they are about to make a promise to you. They are each going to give the words of a promise. And this is a promise which is written by our diocese. We didn't actually craft it. So each vestry member in every Anglican church in our diocese will make the same promise. And then we are going to pray for them. And then finally, we will talk about our responsibility. Let's pray for them. (laughs) Yeah, we can cheer them as well. (laughs) But now let's stretch out our hands towards these people, if you feel comfortable doing that, and join me as we pray for them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these six people. I thank you for their commitment to be your leaders in this church. I thank you, Father, that they will help us to worship, to serve, to proclaim. I thank you, Father, that you will sustain and keep them, that you will bless and guide them. And we ask once more that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they may have all needed wisdom as they make decisions, as they think, as they pray, as they strategize, they plan budgets and read documents. Will you encourage them and sustain them, good Father? Amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, do sit down. So what now? What now, church? Can you, can we just relax? Can we just sit back and kind of go, yay, okay, those six, they've got it, they've made some serious promises, sounded pretty, pretty substantial, the things that they just said, there were big words in there, and constitution, and all these things, canons. Well, no, I don't think so, we each have a role here. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to decide now, pick one of them in your head, and decide that you are going to faithfully pray for them, that you're going to check in with them periodically. Maybe you will fast occasionally as you think about them and to pray for them. Maybe you will give them a word of encouragement in, the next, in one month or in six months or in a year's time. Will you write their names somewhere on your computer or something so that you see it regularly? Because these people are going to be serving you. They're going to be serving us. They're going to be part of making us a healthier community. Because if you go on in uh, this little book it goes on and talks about what we are we are God's covenant people and family the body and bride of Christ the temple where God in Christ dwells by his spirit and we call the body of Christ because all who belong to the church are united to Christ as their head and source of life and are united to one another in Christ for mutual love and service to him I love the dictionary definition of a covenant, which is a solemn agreement between the members of a church to act together in harmony with the precepts of the gospel. And this is what we're doing tonight. We're standing together, we're sitting together, and we're saying as a community, we're making a solemn agreement to act together in harmony with the precepts of the gospel. Because together we make the church. Each of us may carry different roles for a season, but we are all equally in the kingdom of God with our different gifts and abilities, serving one king with mutual, mutual obligations. But finally, I don't know, have you ever been at a feast and you're all standing there and someone says, okay, and you're you're kind of salivating because the table is full of goodness. And somebody says, we're going to give thanks. And so you, you kind of go, okay, good. And you close your eyes and they start to pray. And you're kind of maybe thinking about the dishes in front of you and how much, where are you going to start? You know, are you going to start with the stew? Or are you going to start with that little the caviar? You know, you're thinking about all these things. And then they, they suddenly, the person who's praying, suddenly changes direction. And they say, and Lord, will you help us to remember all of those who have no food tonight? And there's that moment when your tummy kind of shrinks a little bit. And you kind of go, did we have to think about that right now? Um, could we not have thought about the hungry people some other time? So this evening, we are considering a feast. Church, we are so blessed here. We have so much. But as I was writing these words earlier this week, I kept on flicking onto the news and reading about Syria and seeing notes which came through from friends of mine who work in the Middle East, people who work in Turkey, people who work in Iraq and Iran, Tonight, there is so much goodness here, but there are others in this kingdom which we belong to who are facing bombs, who are fleeing war and oppression. And in a moment, Eve Elizabeth's going to lead us in prayer, and I know we will pause for a moment there to pray for those who are undergoing hardship tonight. But so as we come to our feast, we come acknowledging this kind of tension with sober awareness. And the thing which is challenging for us, I think, is not to be less grateful for all that we have. We have to be so grateful. We have to be so grateful with the provision that we're given. When we come to a feast, we delight in the feast. We give thanks for all the good things that Jesus has given us. But we also need to remember our personal and corporate responsibility to those who have less, to the evil we see around us, because together we make the church. Together, we are part of the kingdom of God. And so in a moment, we're going to take some silence. You've just heard the new vestry make promises. Some of you made promises recently as you became members of this community. But each of us is engaged in the kingdom of God. Each of us as we go about our daily business. So what is your responsibility? What promises are you making both to this community and to the global church? as you function in the kingdom of God. Don't worry if you can hear things in the silence. Don't worry if there are things that distract you. But take a moment just to be quiet, you and God. Take a moment to just think. Pray, perhaps, for those who are far away. But pray for us, too, that we can rejoice with appropriate gratitude while remembering that we are part of the whole of the kingdom. And then, after a little while, Beth will lead us. And we are going to sing, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. Breathe new life into my willing soul. Let the presence of the risen Lord come, renew my heart, and make me whole. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you, Lord.